This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio during American Chocolate Week. Yes, it is. Uh, March 20th through 26th is considered American Chocolate Week. Don't ask me who came up with that. I have no idea. Um, But it seems legit, so I'll take it. Um, But it also specifically is Chocolate Covered Raisins Day, which is not my favorite, but give a shout-out to those who do absolutely love Chocolate Covered Raisins. Um, And... Speaking of that, they would be very, very good, uh, very good snacks, anything chocolate-covered, when you go to the movies. And I have to mention that my friend Sasha Summers and I went to go see The Lost City last night with Sandra Bullock and T- Channing Tatum and Daniel Radcliffe, and um, it was fantastic. So I was going to talk a little bit more about that later. But first, um, I have an amazing paranormal author I want to talk to you all about, so Katja uh, Desjardins is a music teacher by day and a paranormal romance writer by moonlight. She's an unapologetic music addict, has an obsession for bad Bach puns, despite her irrational aversion to Baroque. Um, Her favorite words include plethora and dapper, which I have to agree, they're fantastic. And she is physically repulsed by the word moist, as we all are after certain books. But they were incredibly successful, so good for her. Um, Desjardins lives in the Okinawan Valley, uh, o- not the Okinawan, Okagon Valley with her husband, three children, and three cats. Her ideal summer vacation is spending driving Route 66 with her family and attending heavy metal concerts. Her newest release, Muzzled, is out with Chule Publishing. It is the third of her Hellhound series, and you can find her at her website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, YouTube, TikTok, and Spotify. And I have all those links in the write-up of the show. Welcome to the show, Katja. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Super excited to be talking with you today. I know. And you know, she's a fellow Tule author, which, you know, always holds very near and dear to my heart because um, the, our, you know, our goddess, um, Jane Porter, um, is always, you know, so good to her authors and um, just happy oh, to be a part is. of this family. Yeah. She's, I remember her years ago when she said they would keep Tule open as long as authors wanted her to. Like, she was there for the authors because if you don't know, Jane had had like 60 books published and a few, like a few hundred awards or whatever. Um, and so she was all very pro-author. And man, that, that little tiny company has grown immensely. Um, and you're a part of it. You've been a part of it for what, a couple of years now? I have, yes, since uh, 2018. And I right. am, I've loved every moment of it. It's been an amazing experience working with the editors and with Jane and the authors who are so supportive for those of us who are dipping our feet into this now. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. And yeah, it's funny it's because an we get, and we get a lot of um, freedom, I think as authors with, with Chile because um, like there's a lot of publishers and they're very big and they put out a lot of books. So I understand that the, I understand it, but um, the general idea of getting to have a lot of input on your covers, um, for anybody who doesn't know, most of the time authors really get very little input on your covers. You fill out a sheet about your book, and then the cover artists, graphic artists will do their magic. Um, but you, I mean, you probably, as well as I did, kind of get to have quite a bit of input on it. What, When you saw your first cover with Chile, was it 
you so excited, like, this is it? Or was there tweaking, but still excited? Oh. How did that go? I was I was actually at work <laughs> that day. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> uh, the email came in, and I glanced at it, and I closed it up, and I opened it, and I closed it. And then at recess, I took a moment to call my husband and scream in his ear because yeah. my covers are beautiful. They are yeah. I, I have no visual capabilities, so <laughs> even though I don't know what I want, I know what I like. And the moment I sure. saw Junkyard Dog's cover, I, oh, I was I was in heaven. Same thing with Lee. Yeah. And then they continued this beautiful artwork with muzzles, and every time I have the same reaction. I open and close, open and close, <laughs> scream internally, then scream out loud. <laughs> Right. And she said recess, guys. She is a teacher. So um, that's why she's not like some random place where they all send everybody out for recess. Um, <laughs> although it might go really well for adults. Okay, everyone go outside. I think it um, would go over very well for adults. <laughs> yes. Everyone go run around in circles. Um, <laughs> go so, on, play on the playground for a few minutes. <laughs> yes. Go on, run around. It's okay. Um, so, But you've got, your, you've got two series here, both paranormals. Um, yes. And so tell me how you came about each series. Uh, well, my first one, I started writing six and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. It was October. It was 2015. I was living in northern Alberta, and it was about minus 18 out in Celsius, Sweet. which is yeah, probably, cold. yeah, <laughs> pretty cold. <laughs> and I had three little guys at home. My husband was working out of town. I opened up the document and just started to write. Mm-hmm. I had just an idea in my head. I figured I'd write a paragraph. Sure. And then a couple weeks later, that paragraph became a chapter. And then I kept going, not really thinking it was going to turn into a book. And then six months later, I closed my computer, looked at my husband and said, I think I wrote a book. And that nice. is Connection, which was my first book that was picked up. Um, a vampire series that just kind of spoke to me. I mm-hmm. don't actually, um, I don't plot my books. Okay. I know the beginning scene. I know the end scene of the series. And I have music playlists. And I write towards the end scene. So my vampire series is eight books in total. I knew the end scene. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> okay. And the same thing happened with Junkyard Dog. We were actually driving on a summer vacation. We were going through Joshua Tree. Uh-huh. And my husband had mentioned you know, black dog sightings and how that was some trucker lore from when he used to drive truck years ago about the black dog that people would see darting out in front of the road at night. Uh-huh. And I started to think about this, you know, this black dog and where it would have come from. And I actually did my first National Novel Writing Month for November that year okay. and wrote Junkyard. Nice. So nice. It just kind of came to me and it had to be, it had to be there. And I knew how the series would end with Muzzled. I didn't know how we were going to get there, but it eventually <laughs> did. <laughs> so for your Hellhounds book, series the third book this one that just came out on march 15th muzzled it is the last of the three so a trilogy it is yep it's the last of the three it focuses on the third brother um 
the whole series is based on the concept of Cerberus as a three-headed dog. Right. That takes human form in the form of three brothers. Okay. And okay. so the first book focuses on Alex, and then Bo is the second book, and uh, Ryan is the third. Okay. Wow. And so we get to see how, I mean, and then there's a running other things that are going on too that kind of sum up, sums up the whole three of them together as well. Yes, we have, um, I approached it where um, Hades and Persephone own Cerberus. Right. Where Hades is a little more, you know, he's a little cranky. He's kind of tired of doing the whole underworld boss thing. And Persephone is more like that overbearing mother-in-law who wants purse mm-hmm. puppies, and she treats these three men, <laughs> or mm-hmm. dogs, Cerberus, as house puppies. Okay. And so I, it was fun to be able to play with that, play with a bit of that Greek mythology that I've been obsessed over since I was a kid. Right. And the, um, the hounds are hunting a Perithus bloodline, and in Greek mythology, um, Perthus was one of the people who kidnapped Persephone. Mm-hmm. And even though she came back unharmed, um, Hades was not happy, so he put a curse on the bloodline, and that's where Cerberus steps in. Okay. Okay. Wow. I love the what if. What if, you know, and you start with the main story that we all know, or basics, and then you get to do this whole what-if branch. And, I mean, I'm, I, it's fun. And no one can tell you're oh, wrong. It's my, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> well, and that was the big thing. I I, like, I touch on the fates. And yeah. just, the, you know, one of them is very vindictive. And, <laughs> you know, another yeah. one is has zero patience. And one is a little flighty. But I could play with their personalities and really make them work for the story, but also make them just come alive. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's and it's fun to match those personalities and see what fits. And, and um, you know, as my kids have gotten older, we've kind of joked about some of the Greek mythology stories. And um, it's it's very interesting, their takes on some of them. It's like, I don't get why they did that. You know, it's like, this makes no sense. Um, so, like Artemis, bathing in this pool during hunting season in the middle of the forest and somebody sees her and she gets mad. It's like you could bathe in Olympus or you could just make yourself invisible or you could just like tell the guy like to like, it's like there's all these things, but then she turns him into a deer and and has her dogs eat him. It's like, this is really a lot, you know? Um, So they're like, I don't get it. I'm like, I don't know, babe. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't have And that was the the fun part with, writing this story was I could do things like the Cerberus can't stand Hercules mm-hmm, because right. Hercules claims to be the big hero who took them down. And the dog says, no, he actually, you know, slipped us some, some poisonous, uh, a poisonous plant to make us sick yeah. and weaken us for that time. So even though the story says Hercules took Cerberus down, Cerberus is like, no, that's not how it works. So there's that's kind of funny. like this, there's, I was able to play with some of those, some of the other tales and some of the yeah. other myths that are out there and just bring them in and put them out there from the, from the dog's perspective. 
Right. Like just you just turned the camera at a different angle and and took the story from a different POV, and that's that's fantastic. Um, and then you have your next book for the haunt, the um, vampire series comes out next or this May. You have that one, yeah. um, and you're. How do you juggle? Like, so how do you juggle the different worlds? I mean, I know they're both paranormal, so it's. I, I know it's just it would be a shift, but how do you keep those worlds in order? And then how do you? Um, it's like story bibling. How do you set that up for yourself? It was actually, um, it was a little tricky at first. I was, mm-hmm. I think I had done four of the vampire books before I started Junkyard Dog. Okay. And throughout Junkyard Dog, I kept on mentioning the sun. He stepped into the sun. He walked out into the sunlight. He put on his sunglasses. Because I had mm-hmm. spent two years writing about a species that can't walk in the sun and Mm-hmm. I was overcompensating <laughs> by having, you know, I was so happy to be able to not be tracking, you know, sunset and sunrise because my characters could go outside anytime and it wouldn't ignite them. And right. So I did have little issue of just be them being able, my junkyard dog being able to step outside anytime he wanted. I didn't have to time right. it with anything. Um, but I did write junkyard dog leashed and muzzled back to back. Okay. So I wrote them all in one year, and then I could mentally close out that world and return to the vampire series. And um, I find I have to do that. I've been dabbling in contemporary as well, and I have uh-huh. to wrap up one and then move on to the rules of the other because there are rules. Each of my worlds right. has their own you know, structure. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are all very different they interact differently um humans interact with them differently in my paranormals Mm -hmm. and so yeah it was it's i keep a few notes but under a page per series okay i don't do much (laughs) for note taking or plotting so it's all kind of a surprise when it all finishes up and happens (laughs) Have have characters shown up that you hadn't anticipated? Because you were saying you don't really plot it out, and I, I'm kind of a pantser. Then I end up going back and start organizing. It's kind of like throwing the, you know, the puzzle pieces on the table, and I know I'm going to do this part, and then I start organizing. Um, do you did you have characters that just kind of like showed up in the story? And you're like, oh wow, okay, let's see what we do with this person. I've had that happen a few times. Um, mm-hmm. in- in Junkyard Dog, one of the, uh, the main character, the heroine Charlotte, has a coworker, Max, and he became integral to the story. And I didn't even have him in my mind really when I started writing. He was mm-hmm. just there as a coworker, kind of a background character, but he became a major part of the storyline to the point where people who have read the book have commented on wanting Max's book. I was going to ask you, that was my next question, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also had situations, my second vampire book was supposed to be a pairing of uh, two characters. I was actually supposed to have um, Audra, I had expected Audra to pair up with Reese, one of the other vampires, Uh and Mickey stepped in and took over, and I... I, I couldn't 
back it up. No matter how many times I tried to fit it to the narrative I wanted, it just, yeah. this was the pairing. This was the way the book was going to go. So book four is actually Reese's, finally, right? Reese's story. But okay. he was supposed to be book two. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's interesting. And for anybody who doesn't write, you know, series even, um, sometimes those characters are just going to do what they want. It's it's some, I mean, we create the world, you know, but man, they just, sometimes they're just going to not listen to anything we're doing. It's just not going <laughs> to happen. really do. And I always feel slightly, I swear I'm not crazy, but um, the, the books I find unfold. Um, if I try to adjust the, um, the trajectory, I guess, mm-hmm. I get stuck. And the moment I get stuck, I know right. I forced it down the wrong path, mm-hmm. and I have to delete upwards of seven, ten chapters and yeah. take the storyline. I see it unfold like a movie. And right. a lot of it has to end up on the on the director <laughs> director's room floor, I guess. <laughs> right. You put them in that little file of you know extras, and then maybe you might come back and pop it into some other story, but because you like the way you wrote something. Um, but yeah, it's it's there's absolutely um, there's always extras like extra little snippets. Um, I was telling a friend of mine I started writing um, a new series and. The first chapter was like 30 pages. I'm like, well, obviously this is wrong. Um, <laughs> and then you, I, I realized, oh, it's the right scene. I just started it in the wrong place. So really I should have started like page 12. Uh, and so it, it's that all the setup. But for us as writers, it's kind of flushing it out and letting us see the world as we create it. Um, so anybody listening, it's okay that you have extra. Just, you know, tuck it to the side, but... Don't be afraid to be brutal with your editing. It's okay. So, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> the brutal editing process. <laughs> so much fun. So, so much fun. Um, it's delightful. So you've got, um, you've got these two series, and then you just mentioned that you're talking about um, contemporary romance. What are you working on with that? Uh, well, I have one contemporary romance series, a four-book one that I wrote last year, Okay. That was focusing on a small town tattoo parlor. So my first jump into the <laughs> into the contemporary. Um, and then I've I've kind of been hopping all over the place. So I have another one based out um, based on a surfer living out in California, and the okay. research on that was a blast. I loved it. I bet so um, that one's actually in submissions right now. So I'm crossing my fingers. And okay. now I'm trying to write a, um, a, actually a sweet Christmas book. But this is my first attempt at writing anything sweet. My writing is not sweet by any means. Um, it's my heroes are not sweet. <laughs> They're, it's spicy. There's usually a lot of um, drama and intrigue. Usually something is going on in the background either. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the paranormal, of course, there's the paranormal worlds and and such, or even the contemporary ones that I've written in the past have had the big bad guy. So writing this one has been interesting. I've been doing it for two months. It's coming mm-hmm. along. <laughs> um, yeah. But I have another one in my head now for an uh, angel series. So that's kind of my brain's already flittering that direction. <laughs> 
So do you, when you're, when you're coming up with these books and these series and you say, okay, I'm going to write this, and you wrote the Hellhound books all back to back, is your general um, plan right now is to say, okay, I want to write this series, and you just write all the books of the series, and then um, that's done, and then you go to the next project? Or do you um, interplay? Like, okay, I'm going to finish this book, then I'm going to go to this one. How do you do it? I tend to... I tend to jump around a little bit. The junkyard ones I wrote all back to back just because they were coming at me that fast. Um, okay. I was teaching full time during that stretch, and these three books just kept coming at me. So I did do those ones all in a row. But quite often, I find I will write one. I have. I'm on my 18th manuscript right now, mm-hmm. and for a few of them, it's just the first book in the series. So I write the first one so I have the world prepared almost. Yes. Yes. And then I can come back to it later. Okay. Yeah. I mean, have you started writing any of your books? Like you know the world and then um, something is like, oh, wait, no, that that's not working the way I thought, or it's like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> I came up with this. I mean, I'm guessing you'd have both, right? I have. I've also, I um, I do back myself into corners quite frequently because I don't mm-hmm. plot. And right. So right. Junkyard Dog Trilogy was a perfect example of that. The first one went fantastic. Mm-hmm. Second one, I was super happy with it, but I had made a decision in the second one. <laughs> That made the third book technically impossible. <laughs> wow. Okay. And it it took a bit of um yeah, it, it it took it took an awful lot of maneuvering through the book to make sure it worked because it has to work in my head as plausible. Mm-hmm. Even if it is a paranormal world, even if it doesn't truly exist it has to function as though it does. Right. So I did back myself into a pretty big corner <laughs> on that one. And, um, yeah, Muzzled was the the fruits of my nonstop stress and research to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things, even the people who are the best plotters, I mean, there's times that all of us back ourselves into a corner. So, um, but you have to go with what what creative outlet works. I mean, it's kind of like there's people that will always argue that it doesn't matter if you just dump all the ingredients in to make chocolate chip cookies; they're going to taste just as good as if you went started with the eggs and beat the eggs and then creamed the butter. And I mean, it's just like um, it, it it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's what you you're going to do to get it done. Um, so, but yeah, every book is different. Every book is its own learning experience. So, and it sounds like it, you mean you're cruising along. You've got what seven books going on right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been kind of a wild six years. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, I uh, I hadn't really um, I hadn't started writing with the intention of becoming an author or becoming published, and it's mm-hmm. so kind of fell into place and Thule took on Junkyard and Wild Rose took on my vampires. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been an amazing opportunity these last few years. 
No kidding. So, and speaking of paranormal, I we I mentioned this before we went live. Um, so she lives in one of the places that I've always wanted to visit. Um, Katja lives <laughs> in near um, Lake Onkawan, which is where the fabled Ogopogo lives. Which is, if no one knows who that, whoever doesn't know, um, that's the British Columbia equivalent of the Loch Ness monster. And um, Having been quite the Nessie enthusiast over many, many years, um, you know, noticed like Chessie and Lake Champlain and all this, like all this, like the whole latitude. It's like, oh, they're all similar along that latitude. Um, so all these lake monsters, these really freaking cold environments are hanging out. Um, so have you, I mean, as a local, I mean, what is the general vibe about it? Are you glad for the tourism or is there something or what do you think? Well, we moved here two and a half years ago from um, mm-hmm. from northern Alberta, and so we started hearing the stories. Sure. When we first moved here, and they're stories, and you kind of keep that in the back of your mind. But I recently took up paddle boarding last summer. Okay. So every day I'm out on the lake on a little paddle board, and the water ripples. And every once in a while, it does come into your mind that. Mm-hmm. You're out there by yourself with nothing but a little board underneath you and your little plastic paddle, and there could be something very big underneath. Yeah. You can't really see that deep down into the water, and yeah, the we've had a, a few times where it does cross your mind, and I, I, I come inside for a little bit, and I'm like, no, we're good. <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> I'll head back out there later. We'll call it the wind and the... And the waves, but solid. You, yeah. you can't help but look at the lake and see weird movements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's great when you're on the shore. Not so great when you're on the lake. <laughs> right. Well, and I remember reading years ago. I, think, I was trying to remember what the book. I don't know if it was highlights. Or it was a magazine, um, but they, the woman talked about if you go across the lake in a canoe, you have to have like. She had a live chicken um, on it, and the thing was that when the water starts to rock, you throw the chicken in. Um, I was like, well, that's kind of mean. Um, well, apparently it's an offering, you know, so you can get across the lake. Like, yes. And there goes the chicken. Um, and Take then the later in the, me. Yes, please. And then they uh, later in the story she talked about, she was sure she, she was on the shore, and she's sure she saw something, so she got some apples and threw them in. Um, and they were gone. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it's I think it's fabulous that we don't know everything about the world around us. I think it keeps us curious. Um, and it's one of those things that I would really love to know what it is, but I would not share because I don't want a bunch of yahoos up there trying to get it. So. And there's that too. We do, like, there's that because there are, of course, the stories, and people do look. Um, I know that there's all, you know, the, the kids around here do talk about it, and they yeah. love the stories. Yeah, and they, and they talk not? about it as yeah. though it's just part of the part of the area, and it's it's very cool. It's very neat. It's very neat living out here. Yeah, I bet. But still cold. Still cold. Um, certainly. It's well, it's chilly. <laughs> I've gotten spoiled out here because I'm used to winters and being minus 30, minus 40, and here it's not like that. So (laughs) 
I'm well, you're ch- spoiled you're now. You're cold for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's the thing. Texas. Yeah, in, in perspective. You are cold. <laughs> <laughs> we have been through Texas. You are very hot. <laughs> we are, yeah, very in July, much so. It is quite painful. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I've mentioned it before for anybody who's heard the, who's listened to the, the show. My daughter got the opportunity to go to France. She studied French in high school, so she got to go for a month uh, over to France, and she went to this little town called Auxlebon, um, or they call it Aux, and it's at the base of the Alps. So she's there in July. Um, needless to say, it's perfect weather. Um, the water there is all glacial runoff, um, you know, like the river or the oh. lake. And it's literally like that beautiful emerald green color. Um, and so I don't think it got above 80 when she was there. And then her host sister came back here, and it was the middle of July. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she was here until the middle oh. of August. And I was just like, yeah. This and is that not, heat this is, is not great. That is intense heat. It is. <laughs> and we, do, we do tend to get that out here. Um, the Okanagan Valley can go, you know, into the, you know, 100, 110 really? spot in the summer, and it's hot. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it is, oh, for sure. It, it is quite hot, um, but I love it because we are a block away from the water, so when yeah. that heat hits, I just head out there. Yeah, no kidding. And then well, come back um, to the air conditioning. Like near, being near the beach, you know, you're going to go out there and... and um, certainly hang out because that's where that why not you know um oh it's fantastic (laughs) oh yeah for sure so um what grade do you teach i've actually taught um many grades over the years i taught on a military base for 18 years mostly grades one up to grade nine okay i've taught music and band and home act um, right now, I'm actually doing a grade three, four class, um, an amazing little group, and yeah. yeah, it's. I've been I've been teaching now 22 years. Okay, and what has been the biggest <laughs> surprise in all that time that you've been teaching as a teacher? What have you seen um, has been your biggest surprise, good or bad? I think. Hmm, I think. For the most part, I love music. I mm-hmm. music is so much of um, it's so much of my writing. Songs will actually be the key piece that I'll write towards. But what I found in schools is there has been, of course, a reduction in music education and arts education. Mm-hmm. But that's what our kids tend to glom onto. They love yeah. music. Mm-hmm. They love to explore instruments, and I had thought that I would see a reduction in that over the years as you know tech becomes more and more popular. Right. But they will spend more time playing with handheld instruments right. than they will on an iPad that you know, walks them through a little music program or something like that. They love to play. They love to create and that's one thing that surprised me that it has stayed that way. Just right. Human beings like to create, and these little people love to do it. 
It's it's interesting how it can be the simplest thing. You know, we always talk about, um, like as kids, the box, you know, the, just a box to play with um, and all the things that you create with just a box. Um, you know, one year we got a new washing machine delivered and uh, the guy was having, I guess he was just having a bad morning. And he's like, yeah, do you have anything else you need? And I had two children at the time, I have four. And I was like, yeah, do you have a box on that truck that you don't need? And he looked at me, and his face lit up, you know, and he's like, I got just the box. And he gave us a refrigerator box. And let me tell you, that box, four months, those girls played in that box. It was a spaceship. It was a fort. It was, I mean, they'd get up, eat breakfast, go run upstairs, and they'd be up there for hours. And and so I'm not surprised to see, to hear that kids want to create. I mean, even like they sit in laundry baskets or they want to put, like, stack bowls. I mean, it's just like that tactile feeling yes, of, of that's play. exactly it yeah and it's a whole and process of learning that freedom mm-hmm. and what i do find is they're unafraid so yeah. if you present a child with a, you know i had electric keyboards at one of my schools and i was hesitant to press the different buttons because mm-hmm. you know what if i break it Kids have no fear, right. so they would go no, in and they, they would don't. play with the buttons and they would show me all the cool things they had learned to do on these, and I was learning from them constantly. Yeah, was, and that's yeah, fun. It was just it's an it's an amazing experience to watch that. <laughs> no kidding. Well, and it's one of my kids' favorite teachers. Three of my four kids had her, and then my oldest had a different teacher who was just as fabulous. But like you're saying about music, it's all these little songs they still sing. You know, one's in college, and and they still sing. You know, days of the week, and um, you know, to the Adams Family tune, or um, so. Um, and that's and, in my head now. Yep. Right. You know, thanks, Patricia. You know, there you go. Um, but and and all these different songs, and the teacher just had it down. And I remember uh, asking her, "It's like, are you?" Sh-? I was like, "I don't know how you do this every day." Um, but she just had that personality that she was really, really good with the kindergartners. Um, I said, are you sure you don't go home and drink every night? She was laughing. She's like, no. Um, and, but I said, what if you had to teach high school? Or she goes, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd be in full-blown liver failure if I had to teach high school. And, oh, okay, great. So, you know, um, good to know that you know, you're not like – you, you found you do it all. <laughs> right. You can't do it all. Yay. Because uh, now I feel better as a mom. Um, so, but, yeah, no, it's it's one of those things that you have to find what works. And, and like you're saying, let them explore and be daring and, and throw it down, just like you did when you started the book. Well, I'll just start writing. And here we go. So, um, That's exactly maybe, it. Just start it and try yeah. it. <laughs> right. So, when you first knew you were going to get published, so first, before you got published, did you tell people you had written a paranormal romance? Um, my husband knew and my mom knew. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, that but was then it. you got published. And then my agent knew. <laughs> right. Yeah. But when you got published, were you still hesitant to tell anybody? I was at first because balancing the teacher life with the author yeah. life is not always conducive to each other mostly because I don't write for children yeah and so I was very hesitant at first to share anything about it um I've overcome that over the last few years um just because it's 
a part of it's part of me. It's what I do. Yeah. It's what I do once I'm done teaching. Teaching is one part of my life, and you know, my family is another part, and being an author is a huge part of that as well. And so. I've been slowly kind of melding those a little more. Everybody who knows me now knows I write. Yeah. They know some of my frustrations. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. A lot of them have uh, books are, a lot of my books are dedicated to different, um, to different friends and such who supported me. And I have a really, really um, supportive family, really supportive friends. Um, they're usually, <laughs> they're usually more excited for, the book releases than I am because I'm usually panicking and Mm -hmm. they're far more, they're far, they're, they're in that happy zone. Whereas I don't usually hit that right before book release. I'm sure you know that feeling where you're stressing Uh, it out. Very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's that feeling of you finish the book, you, you turn it in, you know, it's like, this is the best thing you've ever written. You get all the edits done. You're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then you send it and like, for me, about 30 seconds after I sent it, I'm like, oh, my God, that was the worst thing I've ever written. This is going to be terrible. You know, it just it just goes to That's exactly it. <laughs> bipolar insanity. Um, for, and then, you know, of course, like you're talking about, release day is, is hard because you're like, well, what are people going to say? And, um, yeah, so you have to be mindful of you're not going to please everyone, and that's okay. Exactly. And I find it's actually been good. Most of my release days have happened while I've been at work. So I'll be teaching all day, and then I'll remember usually around 4 o'clock, oh, right, I had a book come out today, a full book. It came out of my brain, and now it's out there. Right. And there is a little bit of that balance. Right. The reality of it all. Well, and it's a juggle. I mean, I think that it's, you know, it, it. Writing anything, um, and especially in the romance industry, we get we live in such a ridiculously puritanical situation here. Um, but people have this whole mindset about romance novels, and um, even though it's what we were talking about before we started, thirty percent of the market that's um, yes. uh, it keeps the lights on, guys. I mean, um, so in the publishing world. So it's, it's one of those things that um, is, is frustrating in a way because you're proud of what you're doing and yet you almost feel like you don't want to say anything sometimes for the really ignorant or stupid or arrogant commentary. Um, have you had to That's deal with that in person? Thing. Yeah. Um, I've had to initially, I mean, of course, you know, people who are closest to me were very excited when my first mm-hmm. book came out, because I actually didn't tell anyone until it came out. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. by the way, <laughs> yeah, my book came out today, sort of thing. Um, but at first people would say, what, what do you write? And I would say urban fantasy, mm-hmm. because that was more palatable for for people. And then one day it kind of switched in my head, and I can't even yeah. remember exactly the situation, but someone had asked what I write, and I said, paranormal romance. Mm-hmm. And the response was just, you know, not super, you know, just like, oh, kind of, you know, the, the fluff. Yes, I write the fluff sort of idea. Right. And I thought, no, you know, um, I wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. I actually wrote 
many books, and they're good. I think that they are good. And I think that most of the people who kind of brush aside romance could really stand to read a lot of these books. No <laughs> lies. Exactly. I read in, you know, nonstop. I read 300 books last year, and every one of them was a romance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it always gets and me they're, because... They're amazing. Well, and it's frustrating because... We know with any book, I mean, 99% of the time, if you're going to pick up a new book in a paranormal series, well, we know that the hero is going to live. I mean, there's another book. We know this. Of course. And nobody (laughs) proves that. You know, Jack Reacher is like, oh, Jack Reacher, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, yeah, he wrote wrote a thriller. But we all know Jack Reacher is going to live. You know, it's just how is he going to exactly. live through this, right? Nobody poo-poo's that. Um, whereas, oh, someone finds love. Ugh. It's like really, because oh, I, I love check. The, Oh, it's so formula. <laughs> right. Well, I'm even like, like, most most books are. <laughs> yeah, they are. You know, you can't have the beginning and the front unless you're Christopher Nolan, and that's a movie. But I mean, it's uh, I mean the end at the front. But um, it's it's. One of those things that just gets me, it's just frustrating. But then you have to, like you're saying, you have to just say, you know what, I I love what I do. So, you know, I don't care what you think. That's, that's, that's been a big, I think, important, that was an important jump. And I really made that when I moved out to BC was mm-hmm. I made that jump where that's now one of the first careers. When <laughs> people say, what do you do, that I'll mention. I'm an Mm -hmm. author, I write paranormal romance, I write contemporary romance, because those are, they're incredible books. Yeah. You know, the the whole genre, the romance genre in general, is so incredibly diverse, you can, and so niche (laughs) as well. Mm -hmm. You can zero Mm -hmm. in on anything, and I love that. I love that I can go through my to-be-read file, and I have a very wide variety on that on that set and I'll look through the 70 or 80 books I have and I can read by mood I can decide yeah you know, exactly. how happy do I want to be through this book <laughs> or right. am I you know am I am I willing to be completely emotionally devastated today you know then I'll then I'll know who to grab which authors to grab <laughs> right and right I yeah I find that it, I would love to see more acceptance of romance, but I don't need it. Right. Well, and I was, um, I, I mentioned earlier that um, I went to see The Lost City last night, and, you know, I, there were some choices they made in the movie that kind of surprised me, because, I mean, yes, it was, you could see where things were going, and then sometimes they made a little detour, which made sense in the story. I mean, everything flowed. Um, but it was one of those things that, what has been more commonly chosen, but they chose the lesser one, um, which oh, was great that. because it, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, cool, that works too, you know. Um, but there was this great scene where Sandra Bullock's character is just having a complete meltdown, and um, she's talking to Channing Tatum, and he, and they were just wonderful chemistry. It was so funny, but she's frustrated because she's saying, you know, I'm just this. Um, person who wrote a bunch of slock and you're the you know cover model and you know blah 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 and she's just kind of poo-pooing it um even though she writes it and 
um, he's like, you know, I used to be embarrassed to be on the front of your books. I didn't tell any of my friends. And then one day there was a woman who was walking down the street, and this woman ran up to me, and she was so happy to meet me. And I thought, why would I be sad about something that made people happy? So I just decided I wasn't going to be worried about it anymore. It was just, it was that summing it up. But I mean, it was that kind of moment. I'm like, well, yeah, there it is. Why would we be? That's unhappy? exactly what it boils down to. Yeah, that's what it boils down to. It's you know, people. Of course, there, there's going to be people who love you know, my books and people who don't. And there's yeah. so much. And that's <laughs> I'm the same way with books that I read. You know, there's some that I really mm-hmm. connect with and others that I don't. But it's the stories are important. Yeah. I, you know, I reading romance has been, I mean, during this past <laughs> two years of this pandemic, yeah. that's, I don't want to read sad things that upset me. I want right. to read something where you escapism. everything's going to be fine. I yeah. can suffer with the characters, but you're all going to live, and I'm going to be happy. <laughs> right. We're and all going to be really glad for it. That. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and if the dog is be better, the all the better. Years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we say, if we save a cat, you know, that's all good. So it all works out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Save the cat well, thank and you feed for... the dog, and then we're good. <laughs> That's right. And everybody lives happily ever after. Um, well, thank you so much for being here today, Katja. I really appreciate you. It's been absolutely wonderful. This was my first my first podcast, so I'm very excited. Oh, yay. Well, thank you for starting off your podcast interview career with me. I really appreciate that. I feel very humbled. Oh, I've had it absolutely. You've made this an amazing experience. I will no oh. longer be terrified to do this. Excellent. I love it. Well, for everybody who's been listening, this has been Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. I've been talking to Katja Desjardins. Um, She has two paranormal series out right now, but her newest book of the Hellhound series, Muzzled, is out now. And her second, uh, the second book this year, Provocation, will be out in May. The first one, the Hellhound series, is um, that's the third of the, of the series, the trilogy. And then Provocation is a vampire series that's going to be out in May. But you do have three books to read before it comes out if you want, so start reading. Um, and everybody, please stay safe and keep on reading, everyone. We'll see you next time. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.